Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Ephesians chapter 6. Hallelujah. Verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Glory to God. Thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. We expect the Holy Spirit to help us tonight, to reveal truth to us, to illuminate us, Glory to God to enlighten our minds and our spirits, Lord. Glory to God to bring more understanding of your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. This passage talks about the fact that there are different kinds of praying and that we need to pray all these different kinds. Praying always with all kinds of prayer. So that tells us there are all kinds and it tells us we should pray all kinds. Amen. Not just, not just pray one kind. Amen. And so that's why when we have prayer on Monday night, we just call it prayer meeting. Even though we know that there are different kinds of praying, we don't necessarily know how the Spirit will move one service to another. So we don't call it intercessory prayer because we might not be praying the prayer of intercession. We don't call it uh, you know, some other kind of prayer. We just call it prayer meeting and then we pray on Monday nights and then let the Holy Spirit direct what kind of praying needs to be done. Amen. And uh, <clears throat> we were talking this morning about the fact that we have to persevere. Being watchful of this end with all perseverance. We have to stay with it in prayer when we're praying for all the saints. Now, when you're praying for yourself, you can pray something uh, about a need that you have in your life. You can claim it. Pray one time when you're in faith and, and, uh, and you know that you know that you know what the word says. You can lay, pray that prayer one time in faith and that's all you need to do. From then on out, you just pray the prayer of thanksgiving. And so you don't go over and uh, remind or recall and repray the same prayer. You don't ask God again for the thing over and over and over again because that wouldn't be faith, that would be unbelief. Uh, but when we're praying for other people, we do have to pray over and over and over again because there are things going on in people's lives. There are reasons why people are in trouble. There's a scripture over the Old Testament that says the curse causeless, this is the older King James, says the curse causeless shall not come. So that tells us that when Christians who have been redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus, born again, made new creatures in Christ, made joint heirs with Christ, raised up and seated together with him, when Christians who, who uh, for whom God has done all of this, when they stay in bondage or stay in, in, in difficulties, 
I'm not talking about going through a trial. I'm talking about people that are just perpetually uh, uh, in trouble in their walk with God. Uh, It's because even though these things belong to them, uh, uh, they're they're either not laying hold of it, they're either not understanding it, or they're in disobedience, or they don't understand faith, or uh, could be any number of things. And when you're praying for people, you don't know what the problem is. Now, you might think you know what the problem is. You might think you have somebody all figured out. Well, let me tell you, I know what their problem is. Well, you probably don't, really. You're probably judging things after the flesh, and you really don't know why people do what they do. Amen. Uh, But God knows. And so we have to pray because things are going on in people's lives that, that... God has to deal with and he will work on their behalf because we're praying for them. They might not be praying for themselves, but because we're lifting them up in prayer, we're standing in the gap, as it were, praying for them, making supplication or intercession for them, and God is able to move in their lives because somebody pray. Remember what John Wesley said. He said that it seems that God is hindered by our prayer life that he can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And, uh, and we found out that that's true when you look at the scripture, when you look at all of the different things that God tells us to pray for, we know all those things are his will or he wouldn't tell us to pray for them. Isn't that right? Well, if it's his will, why doesn't he just go about, go about doing his will? Why doesn't he just go ahead and act on his will? If it's his will, what's stopping him? He can do nothing for people unless they ask him or unless somebody else asks on their behalf. And so a lot of times you're praying for people and there there are uh, sometimes these evil forces at work in their lives. We talked about in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we talked about the fact that these are different uh, levels or ranks in, just like in God's kingdom, there are different ranks in heaven. You know, there, we, we know there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they're, and they're co-equal. But then below them, you see that there are different uh, angelic beings Archangels and, and they're, they're, they are higher in rank than other angels. There, there's, a, there's a hierarchy. Well, the same thing is true in the kingdom of darkness. There are different levels of, of uh, evil spirits. And people, uh, even Christians, can unwittingly and sometimes even knowingly yield themselves to these, uh, to these evil forces. Paul told the church here at the same church at Ephesus, he said, do not give place to the devil. Uh, and he listed several ways you can give place to the devil. You can lie. He said, stop lying to one another. Imagine that. Paul having to write to the church at Ephesus and tell them, stop lying to one another. Christians. May, I don't know. Maybe they had a reputation. I don't know why he said that. But there must have been a need to say it. Hey, man. He didn't just have a box of little sayings. 
And when he wrote a letter, he said, let me see, I haven't said this to anybody. I'll think I'll say that. No, he was inspired by the Spirit of God to tell the Ephesians, uh, don't lie to one another. Stop lying to one another. Stop being angry and sinning. It's, it's one thing to be angry and not sin. It's another thing to be angry and sin. How do, you, how do you know the difference? Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If you harbor it overnight, you're in sin. <laughs> Amen. So those are ways you can yield to that. He said, don't yield to him. Don't submit to him. Don't give a place. Don't give any place for the devil. Well, Christians do give place. And when they do, we have to pray the prayer of supplication. And the prayer of intercession, we have to pray for them. Uh, like I said, you, you can't always pray the prayer of faith for people. When, when the time has come that they should be mature enough to claim things on their own and do their own praying and receive from God on their own, when that time comes, God knows when it is and he will require more from somebody. And when that happens, you can't just pray the prayer of faith for people. Amen. Now, I'm talking, now understand this. I'm talking about prayer. I'm not talking about ministry. When you're ministering to people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's a different thing altogether. That's a different, we're not talking about that. We're talking about just simple praying when we're praying for one another. The Holy Ghost can come on people and anoint. I've ministered to people in the power of the Spirit before and God has done things uh, supernaturally by the authority of the Holy Ghost operating through me that I could not have accomplished just by praying for them. Wouldn't have worked. So it's a different thing altogether. You understand the difference? The Holy Spirit uh, can, like I said, the Holy Spirit can move through you to minister to people. That's an entirely different thing. But when it comes to prayer, you just, can't, you just can't claim things for people if they're not believing for themselves. And when they're in disobedience or one thing or another. Uh, let's look at, at, at some of the different things. We've talked about, uh, Paul talked about, and we talked about this last week, I think last week. He said to the Galatians, he said, I, uh, I, uh, travail or labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Sometimes in order for people, because you don't know what's going on in their lives, you don't know how strong uh, an influence or how much of an inroad he has into somebody's life. And sometimes it, it takes really travailing in prayer. It takes, uh, in the spirit of, it's something the Holy Ghost gives you. Uh, you can't just do it on your own, but he'll give you a burden, a, what we call a prayer burden. And, and you'll pray that. And when, when that comes on you, you have to pray that through. And it might take a few hours. It might take several sessions like that. Over several days of praying, being burdened like that. And uh, uh, until, until God is able to get through to that person. Amen. Uh, go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at some more examples. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's look at verse. Let's start in verse 20. For I fear lest when I come, 
I shall not found I shall not find you such as I wish and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish lest there be contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions backbitings whisperings conceits tumults who was a not not a very harmonious group was it he, if you read these, these two epistles, you'll find out that somebody had come, to, uh, several people had come to the Apostle Paul and, and reported on what was going in and on in the church. So there were factions in the church and division going on in the church. And, and uh, you know, when he wrote to the, them the first epistle, he said, you come behind in no gift. So they had the gifts of the Spirit. You can have the gifts of the Spirit working in a church and that, that won't necessarily, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the devil's not also working. Hello, amen. Now, when the Holy Spirit is allowed to move freely, it, it goes a long ways in keeping a church pure and keeping things straight. But still, people have to, they have to agree to walk in harmony with one another, amen. And so he says, I, I'm concerned. Lest when I come here, there'll be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Sounds like a church I used to go to. <laughs> Long time ago. Lest when I come again, my God, now notice, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. Now, he's not talking about, about somebody that's tempted because as long as we're in this flesh, as long as we're here, all of us uh, will be tempted along uh, the lines of the flesh. He's talking about people who have sinned and refused to repent. He's talking about people that saying, listen, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I can live like I want to. Uh, that's not all right. Amen. And he said, when I come, he said, uh, uh, lest when I come, God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many. Now, what's he talking about? He's not talking about mourning like you're, like you're mourning for somebody that's dead. That's not, or, or, or the loss of someone. That's not what he's talking about. Lest I mourn. This mourning includes both the feeling and the act of grieving. And the act of grieving is a response, an intercessory prayer. I said the act of grieving is one of the responses in, in, in intercessory prayer. When you take the burden of, of someone upon you, when the Spirit of God puts someone upon your heart, it, there's a grieving sometimes for that prayer, particularly for people who are in sin. Sin is an awful thing, destroys lives, destroys Christians' lives. And it's not something to be taken lightly. And it's not something to be treated as though it's not important. It is important. It is important how we live. Amen. And whenever you're praying for someone who has sinned and has not repented, uh, it, it requires more 
the Spirit of God uh, will move more strongly on you because, the, because of the nature of it, it's, re, it's required because this person is resisting the mercy of God. And uh, the Spirit of God yearns for that person. God doesn't want to see people come to judgment. He doesn't want to see people come into judgment. He doesn't want to see people have to be judged. Paul said, judge yourselves and you'll not be judged. Isn't that right? But when we are judged, we're chastened by the Lord that will not be condemned with the world. Well, that's not God's best, but it beats being lost. But God's best is that we would repent when we do wrong and judge ourselves. And if we won't do that before judgment comes, remember what the prayer of intercession is? The prayer of intercession is primarily a prayer to hold back judgment. And though this is usually prayed for the lost and for unbelievers, it can also be prayed for believers who have brought judgment on themselves. Remember in early sessions, we talked about the fact that sin invokes God's wrath. Just like faith uh, invokes God's blessing, sin invokes and provokes God's wrath and his judgment. But it, it, uh, God would rather that judgment not fall. It says over in James that mercy triumphs over judgment. God is not willing. He doesn't, he, he doesn't like it. He doesn't want to, uh, uh, to, for judgment to fall, particularly on his own children. But uh, sometimes that will happen if people just persist in sin over a long period of time. We're in, we live in a day of grace, but it's possible to sin against grace and incur judgment even as a child of God. Now, the, the extreme grace teachers today don't want to acknowledge that. They say that's not even possible. Well, it is possible. Amen. You can take any truth of the Bible to the extreme. And to say that in a day of grace in which we're living that there is no judgment possible on believers because Jesus took it all. You just have to, to, to believe that, you just have to invalidate too many verses of Scripture. There are too many verses of Scripture that talk, the one we had just quoted. If we would judge ourselves, he's not talking about heathens, he's talking about believers. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when, when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that will not be condemned of the world. And he talked to man, about a man in the church at Corinth that he turned over to say, or he told the church, he said, you need to turn them over to, and he talked about another man in another place where he did it himself. But to the Corinthians, he said, you need to come together in the power of the Holy Spirit and turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that, don't, that sure doesn't sound like a, 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 you know, one of God's chief blessings, being turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And yet he said, you come together in the power of the Holy Spirit and you do this. Well, it, you couldn't do that. You, you, that's not something you do in the natural you don't just get tired of somebody's fooling around and, you know, and just being an old egghead, you know, and you just don't, you say, you know, they ought to straighten up. I'm tired of putting up with them and I prayed for them, prayed for them. They won't straighten up. I'm just going to turn them over to Satan. No, you don't do that. <laughs> That's something you do under the inspiration and empowered by the Holy. Well, think about that. The Holy Spirit 
would empower, he's talking to the church, the Holy Spirit. He said, when you come together with my spirit and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God, you turn, that's something that God gets involved in. Well, that's obviously judging, it's judgment. Isn't that judgment upon a believer? Well, anyway, we've, we've proven that point. But uh, uh, before that comes, before that happens, it, sometimes the Lord, most times the Lord, if not all the time, the Lord will lay a burden of intercession upon someone. And when that happens, there's a grieving for that person because of the, because of the weight of sin and because of the, uh, of the impending judgment that could come. And that's what he's talking about here. I tell you what, we, we allow too many times, we allow things to go on in our local churches, even including this church, we allow things to go on and we allow people to suffer needlessly because no one has given themselves to prayer. I'm talking about in the way that we've been talking here recently. Amen. And one person or two people can't do it all. Amen. We're, we're, we're to pray for one another. And in, in praying for one another, it's not, it's not sufficient to just pray a little short prayer all the time. Pray for one another, the Bible says, that you might be healed. Well, that's not always God bless, God heal brother so-and-so. In Jesus' name, amen. That does about as much good as twiddling your thumbs saying, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I mean, that just doesn't, all it does is sort of make you feel better that you prayed. Yeah, brother, I've been praying for you. I think, let, let me hurry, let me hurry pray real quick so I won't be lying. <laughs> God bless so-and-so. Yeah, I've been praying for you. Come on now. That will not get the job done. And like I said, people suffer and struggle, it's not needlessly, they're struggling because of their own failures, but it's still needless in the sense that, that somebody could help them if somebody would just yield themselves to the call of prayer, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Praying for people who have sinned and have not repented. Uh, turn with me over to 2 Timothy. Let's give another example. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 24 says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. Now he's particularly, in particular, talking to pastors or ministers here. Because this whole epistle that Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul was an apostle, but so was Timothy. He was an apostle. And he had churches and pastors under his charge. And Paul was giving him instruction in these two epistles. They're called the pastoral epistles. First, second Timothy and Titus called pastoral epistles. And in these epistles, he gives the qualifications for ministers and, and, uh, and for bishops, which are pastors and so forth. So these are, these, the, the instructions here are for Paul in dealing with ministers. But, it, but there's some, something that we all can learn from this. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, 
having been taken captive by him to do his will. The older King James says, taken captive by him at his will. That they may come to their senses, that they may, that God may grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses. I tell you what, people, uh, we've already seen in Ephesians chapter six that the, the, the enemy comes and his primary weapon, his primary offensive against Christians is to deceive, to trick, to scheme, to deceive. And there are a lot of deceived people in the church. They need to come to the knowledge of the truth, but they're bound because they're deceived. I tell you, when someone is deceived, uh, the, the problem is, con- it's not just that they don't know the truth. When someone is deceived, they ha- they're believing something other than the truth. They believe something that's contrary to, they don't just, it, it's not, there, there are some people when they come into, into Christ, when they're born again, they don't know anything. Those are the best kind. Amen. I, I, it, it's the easiest Christians in the world to minister to are people that when they come in, they don't know anything. Like Kendra over there. When she started coming to church and her, and her glad husband. And, and Lori and Doug, they didn't know anything. And they're the easiest ones to teach and they grow the most quickly because they don't have a bunch of stuff to unlearn. But a lot of Christians have been, have been deceived by traditional doctrine, you know, from churches or just, you know, from grandma's twisted version of the Bible. Just don't get mad at me. I had a grandma too, but she, she didn't have all, all of her scriptures straightened out. She didn't, she didn't believe everything just right. Well, I know what my grandma said. Yeah, but what does the Bible say? Bless your grandma's darling heart, but she isn't Jesus and she's not the Holy Ghost and she didn't write the Bible. Amen. (laughs) So anyway, people, getting off of that, let's leave grandma out of this now. (laughs) People, people are deceived And when someone's deceived, they have believed a lie in exchange for the truth. And that's a whole lot more difficult thing to deal with than somebody that just doesn't know the truth. Because when when they hear the word, they go, oh yeah, that's great, I believe that. The people who are deceived, they, they don't see it that way. And there are a lot of deceived people. And there is a lot of deception being promoted in the church today. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of false doctrine. We've talked about this in in earlier teachings when I was teaching along that line. There's a lot of false doctrine. There are a lot of things that are being taken out of context. And grace is one of those doctrines that is, has been twisted and taken out of context. And I tell you what, there are, there, there, there's an entire movement I said there's an entire movement that's widely, that's spread far and wide in the body of Christ that has taken a twisted version of grace. And, and I tell you what, I, some, some ministers that I'm personally, that I know, that I've known for a long time, they've fallen into this error and you can't talk to them. 
I've tried, and it's like talking to a brick wall. You bring up certain scriptures that bring up another side of it. They, they just, they'll, they'll even say, well, that scripture, that doesn't even belong to Christians. That doesn't even belong to the church. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us and, and to uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's such an obvious affront to the extreme grace message. They don't know what to do with it. Just, so they came up with this idea. Actually, that wasn't written to the, to the church. Well, that's absurd. I don't have time to go in and refute that tonight, but that's absurd. And so there, like I'm saying is, what I'm saying is there are a lot of people who have believed things that aren't right and it takes, it takes prayer. Are we to just give up on those people? I don't give up on people easily. And, and there are valid ministers who uh, in times past have been greatly used of God. God's hand was upon them in a mighty way and they have gotten tricked up tripped up in this, in this uh, false doctrine, and there are other doctrines that, that trip people up, but this is one that's just real, uh, real widespread right now, and they've gotten tripped up with this thing, and it's ruining their ministries, just ruining it. Well, uh, there's a remedy, prayer. We can pray for people, and we know that the prayer in, in, uh, in Ephesians I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, verses chapter one, starting verse 17, going down through the end of the chapter, to the end of the chapter. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power and so forth. You can pray those prayers for people. They're effective. But then sometimes you need to pray in the spirit. Remember that... Uh, he who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men but unto God for no man understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Weymouth's translation says he speaks divine secrets. Well, there are some secret things that are going on that we don't always know about. And praying in the spirit is an essential thing for this. And, and Paul went beyond praying in the spirit till he began to travail for the church at, in Galatia. He said that they, they once walked in, in grace, but now they're trying to go back under the law. And he said, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Sometimes it takes by the leading of the Holy Spirit, it takes uh, more than praying in other tongues. It, it takes something in addition to that. Now listen, groaning and, and travailing that level of intercession, that level of supplication is not better or more effective than tongues. It's not one that's better. It's just that the Spirit calls for one or he calls for the other. Whatever the Spirit calls for is what's effective. When, when Brother Hagen taught on this in 1980, in February of 1980, we were out there in Tulsa at the time going to school and he taught that, uh, that prayer seminar in February. And out of that seminar came the book, The Art of Intercession. And uh, some people took some things out of context and misinterpreted things that he said. 
Brother Hagen, if you knew him, he was always very careful to remind people of what he wasn't saying. He was a, uh, if anything else, we talk about him being a great uh, apostle of faith and so forth, but he was a, an apostle of balance. I, I don't know that I'm just using that term. Uh, he was a great man because of his balance. You know how I'm always teaching and I always teach and I'll say, well, I'm not saying this and I'm not saying, I got that from Brother Hagin. It's not my fault. <laughs> he, he taught that way. He was very balanced. But this book in 1980 came out shortly after that prayer seminar where he taught primarily on intercession. And, you know, he didn't write his own books, sit down and write them by hand. He had someone that listened to his Back then, his, his recordings, his cassette recordings, and they transcribed and they came out with a book. That book came out very quickly after that uh, February uh, prayer seminar. And uh, it shouldn't have been in, in misinterpreted. I didn't, I, and most people didn't, but a lot of people did. And they got off into error and ex excess in the area of, of the prayer of intercession. And one of the things that they, uh, that people got, deceived in is they had the idea that there that they were a spec because he and I'm gonna read the prophecy tonight it's not in the new book he the, he he came out with a new edition called the art of prayer he changed the name of it most of the stuff that was in the first book is in the second book but he he took more time to bring balance in the second book. He called it the art of prayer rather than the art of intercession because he, it seemed that everybody thought that, and it wasn't just from his teaching, there was a lot of emphasis on intercession at the time, and the Spirit of God was trying to do something in the church, but people took it into the ditch and basically sidelined the whole message of intercession for a couple of decades because people got it in the ditch. And... Uh, so there were people teaching, you know, that on intercession, and it, people came to see intercession as everything. All praying was intercession. And that's all we needed to do was just pray intercessory prayer. And people started having, like I've told you, they started having groaning meetings. We're going to get together on Tuesday night at so-and-so's house. We're going to have a groaning meeting. Well, you can't get, that's unscriptural. You don't know if the Holy Spirit's going to move through groaning next Tuesday night. So people got together and they just groaned on their own. They put on, sp groan on your own. It's spiritual things. Spiritual things are easily mimicked because spiritual things, spiritual things are, are peculiar to the natural realm. They look and sound and, and people act in peculiar ways sometimes when they're under the real uh, inspiration and anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's a little peculiar. Well, because of that, people see that and they want to duplicate that. So they start putting on and start mimicking things, thinking they're in the Spirit, then they're in the flesh. You, you, and they started having birthing meetings. We're going to get together, we're going to have a birthing meeting. <laughs> well, well, you know, Paul said, he said, you know, to the Galatians, I tra I'm, I'm travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. That's something the Holy Spirit has to give you. You can't just travail in birth on your own. A woman couldn't travail in birth unless she was pregnant. If she wasn't pregnant and about to, to deliver a baby, 
I mean, you could travail and, 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 and labor all day long. It wouldn't produce anything. Well, by the same token, if somebody's not pregnant in the spirit, if you understand that the way I'm using that, if God doesn't put something in you to be birthed, a bunch of people can get together and groan and roll around on the floor and moan and so forth, and all they'll have is just, you know, a, a, a mess on their hands. And, and there was a lot of that. So Brother Hagen, and, in, and that's what I started to say, is that at the end of, of uh, the meeting in, in uh, 1980, he gave a prophecy, and I'm going to read it tonight, about the ministry of intercession, that it's the greatest ministry there is. And that uh, God is looking for people to uh, volunteer for this great ministry. Well, out of that, people started thinking that, that, that intercession was a special ministry. And, I, and, I, and I'm aware of this because I saw all this happening back in, in those early days. And so there were people who thought of themselves as an intercessor. I'm an intercessor. Ooh, did you know so-and-so? Yes, she, I believe she's an intercessor. That's like, that's, you know, intercession is for everybody. That's like saying, you know, I, I think, Sister so-and-so, I think she's an obeyer. I think she obeys God. She's an obeyer? Yeah. She's in the office. She's in the office of, the, of an obeyer. She obeys God. Well, a lot of people don't obey God. But just because you do, it doesn't give you a special ministry. You're not in the office of the obeyer. See how ridiculous that is? Well, there were people who thought they were in the office. They, were, they said they're in the office of the intercessor. There are five ministry offices in the body of Christ. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are the five. And, there, and then there's the ministry of helps, which is a, a supportive role of ministry. And the ministry of help, the ministry of helps is there to help those who are in the fivefold ministry. That's, that's how ministry breaks out. And prayer is for everybody. Amen. Intercession, supplication is for everybody. But these, these intercessors, and I, I remember when this was going on, there were certain people, they were known as intercessors. It's like saying, well, you know, Brother Q, he's, a, he's an obeyer. Well, la-di-da, we should all be. But they were, they were, quote unquote, they were intercessors. And spiritual pride got a hold of them. They started elevating themselves that they were somebody special because God used them in intercessory prayer. Well, it is true that some people have yielded to prayer more than other people. And because of that, they're more used in prayer than other people. But it doesn't make them in a special class in the body of Christ. Everybody is supposed to be used in prayer. And anybody and everybody could be. Well, these intercessors, they started, they, because now they're in the office of intercessor. Now, in churches, it caused a lot of problems. In churches, these intercessors now, want, they, they think they're up, you know, on the same level as the pastor. Pastor, I just want you to know I'm in the, I'm in the office of intercessor. Well, it gives pastors all kind of grief because suddenly they're starting to tell the pastors what to do how to run the church. Pastor, I, I, I'm in the office of intercession I've, and I, I'm, I'm an intercessor and I've been praying about some things and the Lord's shown me some things and, and you need to do this and you need to do that. That's not scriptural. 
The shepherd leads the flock, not the intercessors. Amen. Well, uh, these things in God was trying to do something, but but people took it into excess and and got into error, extremism, and uh, it set back the truth of biblical intercession for many years. Uh, before I before I read that, let me let me talk about one more thing: interceding for our nation. Go over with me to First Timothy two. First Timothy two. There's something here we need to see. First Timothy chapter two. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This scripture is telling us that we should pray for our leaders and this is tremendously important. In every day, in every generation, it becomes it becomes more. Uh, we become more aware of this and the importance of it when things aren't going right in a nation. But the truth, we're told, if if people took intercession and prayer for their nation more seriously and prayed like we should have, we wouldn't get into difficult times. Things have happened in our nation because we didn't pray. And and so it's not that we need prayer for our nation now. We've always needed prayer for our nation. But we have to understand that there are spiritual forces involved. And when it comes to praying for the nation and praying for God's plan... Uh, this, isn't, this isn't casual praying. I said it's not casual praying. Go, uh, go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Verse 12. Now we're taking verse 12 out of its setting. Let's, let's put it in its setting for a minute before we go on. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We pointed out this morning that there, these are four different levels uh, or ranks of evil spirits. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What's the next word? Praying. We put on the weapon of our warfare. There have been... Countless books, I guess. I mean, somebody could count them, but there's more than I know of. There have been many books written on on uh, the armor of God. 
putting on the armor of God, all about the, the, the armor and what each one represents and, and how important it is and so forth. And, and people get focused on the armor and putting on the armor, but people get all stirred up about putting on the armor, but when they put it on, they don't, they don't do what they're supposed to do once they have it on. The whole purpose of putting on the armor of God is to enter into the ministry of prayer. The whole purpose of putting on the armor of God is to enter into prayer. The whole purpose of putting on the armor of God is entering into prayer. That's why we put on the whole armor. To put on the whole armor of God, to listen to 35 cassette tapes or, or CDs on the armor of God and study it out, know all the Greek words and what everything means and, and all of that, to know all about it and not pray is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. You've put on the armor and you're still sitting at home polishing your armor. Oh, isn't this wonderful, this armor I have? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be, may be able to withstand in the evil day. Stand therefore, girding yourself, putting on this armor, praying. Praying. We need this armor in prayer. Because in prayer, we're going up. Not We, we don't have our little Uzis out. We're not, we're not entering into some kind of flaky uh, spiritual warfare. We're, we're praying and standing against the wiles of the devil. And in order to stand against the wiles of the devil in prayer, you put on the armor of God. Say it differently. You put on the, we put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles of the devil and we do that in prayer. We do it for ourselves. Take unto yourself the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. We do it for ourselves, but we also do it for others. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful of this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We put on the armor of God in order to stand victoriously in prayer because the enemy is constantly fighting against us. Now we don't, we don't, we're not talking about warring against the devil in some kind of an overt sense. We're talking about taking our stand and just standing on the authority of God's word while we pray, while we pray as the spirit leads us, we take our stand and he's not able to defeat us or discourage us or to move us out of the ministry of prayer. He's not able to get us off the ministry of prayer. So many believers have been, have been tricked out of praying by being deceived into thinking that somebody else will do their praying for them and others have been deceived in getting into prayer and taking things to the extreme and becoming quote unquote intercessors. They're just as much in the ditch as the, on one side as the other person that is on the other side that's not praying at all. Neither one of them's accomplishing anything. The enemy, he has, he has schemes and, and tricks, but when you know the word of God, have your loins girt about with truth. That's the Bible. That's the word of God. Having your loins girt with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. You're not going to stand for condemnation. 
coming at you and the devil telling you that you don't have a place in prayer. It, it, besides, God won't listen to you because you messed up yesterday and, and you're not a perfect person. You put on the breastplate of righteousness and you go at it in prayer because you know that your righteousness is in him. Amen. Amen. Having your feet shod with the preparation, the readiness of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith wherewith you can, wherewith, with which you can, you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Amen. Amen. That we might go into prayer. Now, when it comes to praying for our nation, like I said, it's not casual praying. The reason it isn't, and I, and I wanted you to read Again, verse 12, we, I'm going to take it out of context for a minute, but I want to make sure we, we interpret it in context. But he talks about four different levels or ranks of evil spirits, starting with the lowest type going up to the highest type. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, that's the lowest kind, then powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, you, you can't prove this by the Bible, and so I always want to throw this, this uh, make this point so you understand where I'm coming from. When the Lord Jesus appeared to Brother Hagen back in the 1950s and talked to him about demons and, and evil spirits and so forth, he's the one that told Brother Hagen that these uh, evil spirits are listed according to their rank, starting from the least until the, up to the highest. And, he, and, and so you can't prove that by the Bible, but, but let's think about it for a minute and, and see if it makes sense. Uh, he said that these first three levels are the only levels, are the only evil spirits that believers today actually have to deal with. In other words, uh, we, we withstand all of them, but we don't actually deal with them uh, mano a mano. You know, we don't, we don't face off with them uh, except these first three. They're the only ones we have to deal with. And Jesus told Brother Hagen, he said, if you'll deal with the first three, the first three levels, he said, I'll deal with the spiritual, uh, the wicked spirits in the heavenlies. So I'll take care of that. You take care of the other. And the strongest one of the three that we have to deal with is the rulers, are the rulers of the darkness of this age. These are the evil spirits that actually possess people. When people are totally overcome and possessed by the devil, it's one of these rulers of the darkness of this age. They have these other spirits come in and, and work with them and these other principalities and powers are under their command. Well, we have authority over all of them. And, and we really have authority over all four. But we don't, we don't deal with that fourth one. Let's, let's illustrate that. What am I talking about? We looked at Daniel this morning. Go back over there to Daniel chapter uh, 10. Daniel chapter 10. Now, you know that Daniel was taken captivity in the, in the first Babylonian uh, uh, captivity. <laughs> and he was a young man at the time, but he stayed in Babylon until he was an older man. 
In fact, 67 years passed. So how old would he be if he was like 16 and he's 67, 67 years later? He's, he's about 80 years old, right? 83? Uh, he became an elder statesman in the Babylonian Empire and he actually saw uh, the fall of the Babylonian Empire and the and the uh, or, or, and the and the transition to the the Persian Empire, and he be, he was an elder statesman in both of these empires. These were very great uh, empires in the world: Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire gave way to the Grecian Empire, uh, the Greco-Roman, and then the Roman Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. These are not small matters, empires. Now, Daniel was praying and, and the Lord had something to show him about the people of God, about the Jews and about their future. And so this wasn't any insignificant revelation that he received from God. We're still gleaning from it today. It's what God showed Daniel way back 800 BC or whenever that was, you have to check, it's something like that, whenever that was, what God showed him back then is still so relevant today. I mean, it speaks to today in the world we're living in. So, so uh, God gave him this, this burden, a prayer. And it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so now he's in the Persian Empire, Persian Empire is underway, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he under, had understanding of the vision and had understand, uh, of the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, no, nor meat, nor wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen who, uh, whose waist was girded with gold of upaz. Now he's seeing into the realm of the spirit at this point and this, and this uh, heavenly creature is standing in front of him. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like torches of fire, his arms and his feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I, and I retained no strength." Yet I heard the sound of his words and I heard, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble upon my hands and upon the palms on my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for I have now been sent to you. While I was speaking this word, while he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come 
because of your words. Notice the very first day. He says in, back in, in uh, verse 2 that he was in mourning three full weeks. Again, this isn't mourning like you've, like you've lost somebody. This is talking about a prayer burden. What we would call a burden in prayer. The same thing Paul was talking about in, in Corinthians there, Second Corinthians 12. He said, I, 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 if God humbles me before you and, and I mourn for those. This is what this is talking about. It's prayer. And this, this creature said to Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, that would be the first day of the three weeks. And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now we know this isn't an earthly ruler because first of all, he already identified who the earthly ruler of Persia was. It was Cyrus. He was the king. But this, this person this personage, this, this being that withstood this mighty angel of God is called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And this spirit being withstood this, this awesome creature that's standing before Daniel right now. We, heard, we read the description of, this is, this is no ordinary uh, uh, person, personage. This is, a, this is an awesome creature of God. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. That's the whole three weeks. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes. Now notice the word prince again. Notice that Michael, if you know the Bible, you know Michael is an archangel. Isn't that right? Everybody know that? Michael's one of the, he's, he's, the, he's one of the top archangels. And he's called a prince. But there's this other opposing creature who's also called a prince. Do you see the two? They're both called princes. They're in the same category. But they're on different sides of the, of the spiritual divide. One is in the kingdom of darkness. The other one's in the kingdom of light. One's in the kingdom of the devil. The other one's in the kingdom of God. My, Michael, the archangel, and this other uh, uh, angel that's talking to him they were they were God's messengers God's angels but over in the kingdom of darkness the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia now I have come to make you understand what will happen in your, to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come Let's continue reading. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk to you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And I said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? 
And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Now he's talking about satanic rulers who rule over empires. Over great empires, there are satanic rulers and they're not, notice, where, where do you think this happened? Do you think this happened down on 3rd Street somewhere? No, this happened in the heavens. Now the Bible talks about three different heavens. Just take a quick study here. There are three different heavens talked about in the Bible. The first heaven is the atmospheric heaven it, within the atmosphere of the earth. That's where principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, that's, that's the realm they inhabit and we have to, we interact with them. We have to confront them from time to time and say, no, you don't. I take authority over you. I cast you out. We have to do that. But then in the second heaven, which is, the, which is outer space, the rest of the universe, outer space, that is evidently where the, these wicked spirits in the heaven, the third heaven is the heaven where God is. Well, these evil spirits aren't working up there. It couldn't be up there. So they must be in that middle, that, that vast expanse called the second heaven. Wouldn't that make sense? That's why it makes sense what Jesus allegedly, I mean, I believe Jesus spoke to Brother Hagin. You can believe what you want to. But it makes sense that, the, that over in Ephesians, that fourth kind is a spirit wicked. Let me read you some of the other translations. Go back over to, hold your place in Daniel. Go back over to Ephesians chapter six again. And we'll read this again, but we'll read some other translations. That last one is, is described as spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Uh couple of other translations here. Twentieth century New Testament says, against the spirits of wickedness on high. The Knox translation says, with malign influence in an order higher than ours. In a malign influence with, excuse me, with malign influence, or you'd say malignant uh, influence, in an order higher than ours. The Phillips translation says, and spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. Well, obviously this happened in some other realm than the realm that Daniel was in. Daniel didn't, Daniel didn't deal with these spirits, this prince of Persia, did he? He didn't deal with him. Why? Because it was outside his realm. Now we know that he didn't live in the New Testament and he didn't have the authority that we have, but the point is this, this spiritual conflict that took place had to have taken place in some other realm. It was the realm where these archangels had to do battle. And you say, well, when Jesus was raised from the dead, didn't he spoil principalities and powers and all? Yes, he did. But the earth is still under the lease that God gave to Adam and they still have the right to be here. Otherwise, Jesus would have eliminated them when he was here. 
Remember the evil spirits would talk to him and say, you know, don't cast me into the abyss. Don't cast me, you know, out into outer darkness before my time. Well, if he could have, he would have. Instead, he sent them into the pigs. Well, those evil spirits that went into the pigs, they're still there. Over in that part of the world, they're still there. They're same evil spirits that, that existed then and exist now because the devil has a right because of the, of the lease that God entered into with Adam over the earth. There's a time element of, on that. And until that time is up, they have the right to be here. As Christians, Jesus defeated the devil for us. We've been delivered from them, but they still operate. And we proved that this morning. They still operate against Christians, otherwise we wouldn't have to resist. Resist the devil. Why would you have to resist somebody that's been thrown into the abyss? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do not give place to to the evil one. Do not give place to the devil. Do not give an opportunity. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lays, lies under the sway of the wicked one, the evil one. So these spirits still operate, but there is a realm outside the realm that we can deal with on our own and it has to do, part of it has to do with empires. Are you listening to me? Now Daniel's prayer to God is what dispatched dispatched this angelic host to bring this answer to him and he had to confront this evil force in the second heavens. Daniel couldn't confront him. It took this other angel, it took this other angel and Michael, don't know the name of the first one, but then Michael, it took these high-ranking angelic beings to defeat or to get past this uh, high-ranking demon spirit in the heavens. But it happened because of the prayer of Daniel. That's the point I want you to make. He didn't deal with it directly, but he caused it. Or say it this way, that, that makes it sound like it's bad. He's the one that initiated by his prayers, God had to send the answer and there had to be a battle that had to take place in the, in the heavenly realm. This has to do with empires. Do you not think that the, that the United States is not a world empire? When our president took office, he was photographed reading a book. It was in his hand called The Post-American, the Post-American World. That's what our president was reading when he took office. The Post-American World. American world. There are people in our nation today who are determined to bring the United States in with, with all of the things that are wrong with us. I'm not even getting into that. You cannot deny that the United States of America is one of the greatest world empires that's ever existed, at, at least in, in postmodern times. The only true superpower in the world. You think there's not a prince of the kingdom of America? You think there's not? There sure is. There are, there, there are evil spirits that operate against every empire, every kingdom on this planet to try to subjugate, to try to bring it down, to try to corrupt it, to try to make it as wicked and bad as it can be. There are people today who are actually devoted 
to the bringing down of this empire, to bring America down so that the world is no longer dominant. They see the United States of, of America as, a, as an evil force for this, in this world, an evil influence. They actually believe that. They believe that, that America, this is taught in, in, in universities all over America today. They, the United States is what is who is responsible for most of the suffering in the world. That it's the United States' fault, and, and until the United States and, and America falls, this world will never be able to, to, to advance. That's the truth. That's going on in our country. Well, who do you think inspires that? Think God inspires that? Do, does anyone with any with any even basic understanding of God and the Bible, does anybody deny that, could anybody deny that God's hand has been on the United States from its birth? That's, that's undeniable. And there's a purpose for that. And what we have going on in our nation and have had going on for a long time is the prince of the kingdom of America, as, you, as, it, as it were. I'm making up a name, but for lack of any other de declaration. There are evil forces and probably one main satanic being of tremendous power in the spirit realm. And what are we going to do? Well, we can't war against that. It's outside our realm. But we can pray for America. Can you see that praying for America is going to require more than a casual praying? The forces that are arrayed against our nation are great and grave and they mean they're, 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 they mean serious business. Serious business. They want to destroy everything that's good. And prayer for our nation has been weak where the church is concerned. Been very weak. Because we haven't been aware of what the threat is. We haven't been aware of what's going on behind the scenes. We haven't been aware of who's pulling the, 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 the puppet uh, strings of people in our nation. There are people in our nation that are absolutely inspired and empowered by the prince of darkness. And, and casual praying won't get the job done. If it would, it would have already happened. How are we going to turn the tide? The church is going to have to learn how to pray. Have to get down to serious business. And understand what true spiritual warfare is all about. It's about supplication and intercession in the spirit not making up a bunch of hokey uh, games not mimicking and, and trying to imitate things of the spirit but yielding to the true power of the Holy Ghost so that things can change or, or at least maintain until Jesus comes back now we know that when Jesus returns that the whole world will fall apart, including the United States. That's not my concern. 
My concern is, is getting everybody I can get ready to get out of here. That's my concern. And in the meantime, we must preserve what God has done in this nation. We must preserve it. We can't just surrender. And we do surrender by not praying. Amen. Well, glory to God. It's so important that the church move into deeper areas of prayer. Amen. That's why I'm teaching on this. Revival praying is, 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 requires that we go deeper in prayer. Let me, let me read you this statement, then I'll read this prophecy and I'll close. The art of prayer, now this is in the, the book, the re, reissued uh, book, The Art of Prayer, says the art of prayer, which includes supplication and intercession, has been virtually lost in the church. Early day Pentecostals knew something about it. Second generations... Pentecostals knew a little about it. Third generation Pentecostals know no, almost nothing about it. Let me say this. Let me just stop right there. I know this is a fact. My grandparents were in that first generation. My, my, you've heard me tell the story. My maternal grand, uh, paternal grandmother was uh, one of the uh, founding members of the first Pentecostal church in Jacksonville in the 1920s. And it actually, my her uh, brothers used to preach in brush arbor meetings before that church was found right after the turn of the century and in those first few uh, years they used to travel around all North Florida uh, you know in, in areas where the, the, you didn't even hardly have sunlight you know <laughs> didn't have anything and they used to hold these brush arbor meetings and pray and sing and get people saved and filled with the Holy Ghost right after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in, 19, uh, in 1906 and uh, so my grandparents were first-generation Pentecostals. My parents were second-generation Pentecostals. Now, the people that I grew up with in church as a kid in the 1950s and 60s, third-generation Pentecostals. I can tell you, I know for a fact that third-generation Pentecostals know virtually nothing about prayer. Virtually nothing about it. Then he goes on to say, Charismatics, charismatics know almost nothing about it. But for God to accomplish what he desires to accomplish, the art of prayer will have to be resurrected. Jesus is calling for those who will give themselves to prayer today. Now I want to read you this prophecy that, that came out in February 1980. Brother Hagen left this out of the book when he reissued it in the 1990s. Or whenever it came out, I'm not sure when it came out, but the reissued version, he left this out. But it's, 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 it came from the Spirit of God. He left it out because people took it out of context. Tried to make a ministry. Uh, here's the prophecy. It says, you see, I have said, it has been prophesied by the Spirit of God, spoken by the Spirit, given by prophecy, given by tongues and interpretation. Men speaking out of their hearts that burden, that word, that conviction, that was put into their spirits by the Spirit of God concerning these days, concerning a great move of God and a great move of the Spirit. But those things cannot come even though that is the will of God. You see, God is speaking forth his will. God is speaking forth his plan. God is speaking forth his purpose. But you see, you are the body of Christ. That great move of God that is just waiting there cannot come unless the church gives birth to it. 
Remember that Paul writing to the church of Gal- at Galatia said, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. The way that you will give birth unto the move of God and unto that which he has planned, that which is his highest purpose and will for your land and for this day, the way you give birth to it is to bring, about, bring it about through soul travail and intercessory prayer. So the Spirit of God is enlisting men and women today to volunteer to be one of those who will say, Lord, you can depend on me to be one of those who will sacrifice even the legitimate pleasures of life and come aside from fellowship with others that they enjoy so much and spend time on their face in intercession. He is seeking out those today who will respond to him. Thank God my heart answers back, Lord, I am one of them. I am one of them. And others will enlist and will enter into the greatest ministry there is, the ministry of intercession. And it shall come. And, it, and so it shall come. It shall come. The darkness that hovers on the horizon of time, the darkness that hovers on the horizon, horizon of our own nation will be dispelled and driven back for the light of God will shine through and the rivers of the Spirit will flow and the blessing of God will come and it shall break, break upon us like a mighty dam has broken and the floodwaters will rush forth, sweeping before them all that is in their path. So the floodwaters of his blessing and of his goodness and his Spirit shall sweep forth like a mighty flood, not to bring devastating results, but to bring glorious results. Not to bring death and destruction, but to bring life and peace and health and healing. And glorious shall be the day thereof. Giving yourself unto intercession, then you shall be one who will see the fruits of your labors. So labor on, pray on in persistence and in faith. And the floodgates of his blessing shall be loosed upon the world and upon this nation. And it will be so. And it can be so. And it shall be so that the church shall yet see her finest hour in this time and in this day. Praise God. I believe, like I said early on in teaching way back months ago, I believe that there is destined, there is destined, destiny has has decreed that the church, before Jesus Christ returns, the church must rise up in glory like never before. And I, hope, I gave a whole list of reasons why I expect scriptural reasons why, why I believe that, that the, the church will close out with a mighty move and demonstration of the Spirit like the world's ever seen. But I remember that? I gave a number of scriptural reasons why I believe that. People have had that same uh, sense and that same awareness for, for decades now. And God has tried to move, but thank God, when people got into error, thank God that just lifted for a period of time until the church could get straight. But we, we don't have time for that anymore. I believe this, this revival that is, that is uh, percolating and, and beginning to, to, to uh, manifest itself all across the nation and around the world, people are sensing something, something in the spirit. There's a move of God. I, I, I believe this is the move of God that we have longed for for so long. And when you look around at the condition of the world, we, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have time to mess this up. 
by getting into the flesh and playing spiritual games. Amen. It's going to take the church really knowing how to pray, really knowing how to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I believe he's raised us up for this. I believe he's raised this church up for this, frankly. I really believe he has. God has been especially good to us all these years, 35 years. God's hand's been upon us. I believe God's brought us to this time for this purpose. Amen? What are we going to do? It's, simp- it's the simplest thing in the world. Pray. Pray. True biblical prayer. Praying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is our, this is our, our calling. Amen? It's our calling and it's our message. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Don't get all quiet on me. I'm happy. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The future is bright. The future is bright. God's plan and his provision for the church is awesome. And and we're, we're so blessed to be a part of it. Think about that. Think about us. Who are we? Just, just ordinary people. With an extraordinary God. Oh, hallelujah. Just just average people with a far above average God. Amen. And we're going to do our part. God is calling for volunteers to enlist in the ministry of prayer. He's not calling for people to enter into the office of the intercessor. He's calling for people to just enlist to pray. Say, Lord, you can count on me. I'm going to be a person of prayer. Will you be that person? Will you be willing to change your lifestyle a little bit as the Spirit of God moves on you and and be willing to make some some sacrifices on behalf of the church, behalf of people, behalf of our nation? It's a great great ministry. So Brother Hagin said, it's the greatest ministry there is. It's the ministry of prayer. Hallelujah. No other ministry can survive without the ministry of prayer. Amen? Let's stand. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, glory to God. Father, we just stand in awe of your plan. We stand in awe of your spirit and your word. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. We stand in awe of our place and our role as Christians in this world. What you can do through us. What you can do through prayer on the lips of such humble people, such unassuming, ordinary people. Never, never been any more ordinary, more ordinary than us. What you can do with a group like us multiplied thousands of times over all around this great country and all around the world what you can do through a church that awakens to prayer is just more than we can take in 
the kingdoms, the realms that we can influence, the change that we can affect as we do our part along with other congregations and other believers all over the world. It's just, it's just amazing. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, for the move of prayer that started in this church eight years ago. We didn't understand, at least I didn't, didn't understand where we were headed. But you've had your hand on us. And, it's, and it's, you moved this way eight years ago. It started something here, Father, with a purpose in mind. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that for those who wouldn't give up along the way, I thank you for them, Lord. They wouldn't give up year after year after year. They wouldn't give up on prayer. They didn't understand it, but there was a, a, a witness, a leading in their spirit that there was something going on here, something important. And though tempted to turn aside, presented with so many choices to just do other things and not follow through with prayer, but there's so many that resisted that temptation and just persisted in prayer, not knowing, not knowing the full ramifications, not knowing the influence, not knowing where you were taking us. They prayed on, stayed with it. I'm so thankful, Father. Rewards in heaven are great. We'll not see it. We'll not see the full res- re- reward for all of these until we get to the other side. But I know there are great rewards awaiting. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And more yet to do, but we're not discouraged, we're encouraged. We're not tempted now to fall back. We're more emboldened than ever to take our place in prayer. <laughs> take our take our place glory to God along with the Lord Jesus the great intercessor taking our place an elevated exalted place of prayer glory to God and so much good will come so much good so much blessing so much influence will go out even from this place as well as from others, but from this place. So much good, so much influence, so much power, tremendous power will be made available. Glory to God. We're, we're humbled before you and in your presence, Lord. Glory to God that you could use someone like us, someone like me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we respond and we say, we'll be one. We'll be one of those that you can count on. We'll be one of those who will be willing to sacrifice 
even some of the ordinary things of life, good things, just to pull away from time to time as the Spirit leads us to come aside and to make prayer when you call on us, Lord. We'll be one that you can count on. The Spirit of God has been searching through the church, searching for someone upon whom he could roll a burden of prayer, of supplication, or intercession upon. Lord, look no further here. We volunteer to be that one. Glory to God. And Father, we thank you that you will redeem our time and bless us in so many ways. And we'll see the fruit of our labors. We'll see it. We will witness the fruit of our labors in prayer. And that is such a great reward. Thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.